Hey everybody, Steve Matthews here. Thanks for joining me for Radio Look Solicit, episode 42. And the title of this episode is Happy New Year's 2021. So I hope everybody had a safe and enjoyable New Year's. I, I know for myself, you know, I, I didn't have a, a very exciting time this year. I, I pretty much, I got done with work. And I ate some dinner, and then I went in, sat down in front of the the TV, and I, I pretty much uh, binge watched Swamp People <laughs> for four hours, <laughs> kind of half awake, half asleep. You know, I have an excuse though. Um, you know, it was it was kind of interesting. The uh, this was the first week between Christmas and New Year's that I've worked for a few years. And I had a uh, buddy of mine at work, he he wanted to take off and, and I had to, to cover for him in his absence. And and I know I've had the last several years off and it's kind of like I can't really tell him no because, well, I've had the last several years off. So I agreed to it. And, and I was hoping when I came into this past week that, you know, that it'd be kind of an easy week. You know, it's the end of the year, you know, all of my, our clients, you know, they're all on vacation and, you know, maybe I'd be able to sit there and um, uh, get a few things tidied up and, and what have you in, in preparation for, for 2021. Well, no, it didn't work that way at all. <laughs> in fact, it was one of the busiest weeks I've ever had um, in my current position. It was really busy. And uh, I got to the end of the week, and I was just exhausted. And I, like I say, I, I got done with uh, with work, and I pretty much just went in and collapsed in front of the TV. And, and I did. I watched. I binge-watched Swamp People for four hours. Now, I very rarely ever sit down in front of a TV and watch four hours of anything. Uh, but I did on New Year's Eve. And, and you know, these guys, I don't know if you've ever seen it, usually they're they're in uh, Louisiana down there in the in the bayou. Uh, some uh, some good old Cajuns, as uh, the, these uh, these fellows are. But anyway, this was a special series of episodes. They they went to the Florida Everglades, and and they were catching these uh, Burmese pythons, which have infested the Everglades. Uh, and I've read about this elsewhere, but you know there have been problems for a long time uh, in the Everglades with these these snakes and the population. Of these pythons has just exploded. Now these these snakes are not native to the Everglades. But these are snakes that people bought as pets, and then they'd you know grow to ten or twelve or fourteen feet or whatever. And I guess they didn't want them anymore, so they just let them loose in the Everglades. And you know the snakes love it. I mean, it's like the it's like the greatest uh, playground they they can imagine. And they've bred like crazy, and they're, they're just taking over the swamp. And so these guys are in there. They were were um, catching these snakes, and it seemed like they must have surely caught every single snake there was in the Everglades. Um, Probably not, but it sure seemed that way. Yeah, and these guys, they, they'd work in teams. They'd go out and they'd, they'd get a snake, and, and one of them would grab it by its tail, and then the other guy would kind of go up and, and grab it right behind the head yeah, so, so it couldn't, couldn't you know, bite them or anything. Uh, pythons aren't poisonous, but they, they can deliver a pretty nasty bite nonetheless. And then they'd, they'd drop them in a bag, and then they'd go on, and they'd, they'd find other, other snakes. And I said I watched this for four hours, so that was my big that was my big New Year's Eve. You know, I think what Dick Clark used to have the rockin' New Year's Eve while I, I was was watching Swamp People catch snakes. <laughs> so that was that was my New Year's Eve anyway. Um, I, I hope you had a, a good New Year's Eve, and I enjoyed it too. By the way, you know that was one one of the nice things, and it's something I, I don't do probably as much as I, I should. And that is just take some time to relax. I did nothing productive on New Year's Eve. And, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a good thing. It's a wise thing. You know, as, as Christians, we want to use the time that we have uh, effectively. But 
it was really nice just to relax for a few hours. And as I said, I don't get to do that all that often. So it was, it was super nice to have an opportunity to do that. Uh, even for a few hours on New Year's Eve, I was like I say I was going to do this this broadcast on New Year's Eve, but it just I, I just didn't have the juice for it. And then yesterday, New Year's Day, I wanted to go ahead and do it, and it still didn't happen for one reason or another. Um, New Year's Day, let's see, I, I did a little bit better on the productive side of things. I, I know that I did have an opportunity to I, I got a little bit of laundry done and a few cleanup things and, and what have you. Uh, but I did also spend several hours, three hours or so. I watched a football game. Uh, my Cincinnati Bearcats, I'm a graduate of the University of Cincinnati, and the uh, uh, the Bearcats were playing. They had a great year this year. They won undefeated in the regular season. They were 8-0, and they went to the Peach Bowl. They played in a New Year's Day Bowl. So that's a pretty big deal uh, to be able to go play in a, a New Year's Day Bowl. And, and, and UC is probably not noted for its football, but they've had a pretty good football program um, for, for some time. Um, they, they've been very competitive, and they've got a, a fellow, a Luke Fickle, uh, that took over. This is his fourth year as a coach. He had been for, at Ohio State, and he was a. Uh, I think he was their defensive coordinator. And he came here. This is his first, uh, at least college level, head coaching job. And he's done a great job. And and so I just wanted to say, you know, congratulations to to Coach Fickle and and the team on a really a, a fantastic season. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't able to uh, to pull out the win. They kind of lost a heartbreaker. It was you know they um, they were playing Georgia, the Bulldogs, and they kicked a field goal on him at the last last second field goal with. You know the clock was like two two seconds that when the uh, when they kicked the field goal and uh, and that was it and uh, they ended up winning by well they ended up winning that that put Georgia ahead by one and then they they ended up when they Georgia had to kick off uh, you know UC received the ball in the end zone they ended up tackling. Oh no! They they got the ball in the one yard line and they ran one play from scrimmage and and they tackled the quarterback in the end zone so they got a safety so the the official score shows Georgia won by three but you know that was that was kind of a the fluky two points that that Georgia got really they they won by one I mean it was a very competitive game and UC was actually up most of the time but they they had some problems and uh, they couldn't quite uh, couldn't quite pull it out but it was it still it was a, it was a great game and it was a great season so yeah I I want to just uh, like I said say congratulations to to coach fickle and the team and and really uh you know they gave us something to to root for here and in the fall of 2020 when there's uh yeah but uh yeah it hasn't been uh well 2020 wasn't the greatest year let's put it that way i think we all know that um so that's what i did on new year's eve and new year's day so finally today here it is it's january 2nd i'm finally getting around to doing the new Year's show so uh what i thought i'd do here today is Oh, maybe uh, share a little bit of a of a look back at 2020 and and a look ahead to to 2021. So let's let's kind of dive into a few things here. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention now I'm, I'm not a big huge New Year's resolution guy, but the uh, the uh, one one resolution I did make last year, and I actually did this in a podcast, and I said I was gonna gonna try to to make a podcast episode once every week well how did I do well yeah I, I didn't I didn't fully succeed I actually went several months without doing a podcast um, just you know how things happen things just get busy um, what have you um, but I was able to at least the last couple months Keep my promise. I think I've won like about eight or nine straight weeks now of doing a podcast. So maybe you know, I didn't quite get it at the beginning of the year. 
but I improved. And uh, cl- I, 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 I closed strong. How about that? Let's, let's say I, I had a strong close. So you know, Lord willing, I'll be able to, to keep that up here in, in 2021 with uh, doing a podcast at least once a week, uh, doing a live stream or do, doing something. Uh, I really enjoy doing this. So uh, that's something that I hope to be able to, to continue and build on that momentum from the end of 2020 uh, going into 2021. Now, of course, one thing that's amazing and just talking about a look back on 2020 is how much the world's changed uh, in just the past 12 months. You know, 12 months ago, you and I were sitting here, probably none of us had heard the term uh, COVID or coronavirus. I mean, maybe unless you're an epidemiologist or in medicine or something. I mean, I'd never heard of these things. And yet, I mean, that's been certainly one of the biggest stories here of, uh, of, uh, of 2020. And, you know, it's, it's kind of hard, you know, you, you can't get away from it. So, I mean, we had, we had the, uh, at least what's, what's called by the, by official and they call it a pandemic. I'm not, not convinced that that's necessarily the case. Uh, and, and it wasn't just the pandemic, of course, but it was, was all of the, the things that accompany that, you know, we're talking about here, the lockdowns that have occurred and are still occurring, uh, in the United States and, and also elsewhere, you know they've they've had some very severe lockdowns in uh, in Europe. I know uh, Great Britain has been under a uh, substantial lockdown for a while now. Uh, they've had these in Australia. Um, depending on where you are in Australia, some of them have been stricter than others. I know in the state of Victoria, uh, which uh, includes uh, Melbourne, Australia, that it's been extremely severe there. And you know that's. Uh, well, let's just say I, I don't agree with the uh, the official policies on uh, on COVID that have been taken by the government, and I I think that 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 has been a a major problem. And one of the great frustrations I have sometimes is is when you look at the reporting on on how um, COVID and, and things have been presented. They say, oh well, you know, you know, due to due to COVID, you know, all of these people uh, have lost their job. Millions of people have lost their job. You know, there's been this huge impact on the economy. Blah blah blah. Well, it, it's th- that's misleading. I mean, to say that you know that that all of these millions of people have lost their jobs because of COVID. Uh, that's not the case. You know, all these millions of people lost their jobs and and have experienced some of the hardships they have, not because of COVID, but because of in my view, the government's overreaction to COVID. And I, I think that's an important distinction to keep in mind. You know, COVID put nobody out of work. It's the government's overreaction that has put people out of work. So we'll just kind of leave it at that for right now. Um, you know, then we had, and, and this was all, I think, somewhat related to to the COVID uh, issue, we had the stock market crash in February and March. Now, a lot of people don't remember that. It's hard to believe now. Of course, we've got the stock market now at record highs here at the end of the year. But back in February and March, I mean, the stock market took a frightening tumble. Um, and it, the only reason that it, it didn't continue down and the only reason it's at a record level right now is because of all the money printing that took place um, by the Federal Reserve. You know, we have uh, we really have a stock market that's uh, sustained not by uh, the fact that we have a strong economy, but by the fact that the Federal Reserve has created trillions and trillions of dollars. And this is just, of course, what we know officially. My my strong suspicion is that there's probably been a lot more done that that hasn't been officially recognized or officially reported. So there's the stock market uh, issue too. And as I say now, here we are. We've got the Dow. 
the Dow Jones, which at least for most people, not maybe necessarily for people who are stock market professionals, but probably for the general public, when people think of the stock market, they tend to think of the Dow industrial average. Well, the Dow is now over 30,000, and I think it's pushing 31,000. So you, you've got this this huge uh, run up in in the stock market over the past eh, let's let's say nine months. You know another big story, and I didn't write this down, but I, I should have have included this in my notes has been the run up in the cryptocurrencies, especially Bitcoin. Um, I think that Bitcoin. I mean, I can't keep up with it hardly. Um, you know, Bitcoin went from a low of about forty three hundred dollars back in. In March, again, the, the low of Bitcoin was you know right around the middle of March, end of March, right about the time the stock market hit the bottom too. Um, but it's now over 30000 just like the Dow. It's up like around $31,000, $32,000 for a single Bitcoin. And, and of course, that's not the only cryptocurrency out there, but it's the most prominent one. And it has had a huge run. And it doesn't seem to be stopping right now. So that's another big financial story from 2020 is just the the run that Bitcoin has made is is been truly amazing. Um, fourth big story in 2020, obviously, was the uh, was the riots. You know, that was something that was um, that was some of the uh, the Black Lives Matter riots, and then of course we had uh, uh, Antifa as well. You had riots in many cities all over the United States, and uh, in particular, it seemed like the the riots were focused, maybe most and especially. In uh, in Portland, Oregon, and in in Seattle, and that seems to be almost the the home base of uh, of Antifa, if you will. It's kind of interesting today. I saw a report. I was watching uh, Tim Pool, and he was reporting on uh, the mayor of uh, of Portland, Ted Wheeler. And Ted Wheeler actually came out. I think this was for the first time and explicitly denounced Antifa by name. And he seemed to, to suggest in his comments that they were going to start going after these people. So I, I don't know for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's because they, they feel that uh, they got they, they finally removed Donald Trump. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is that's triggering this. Maybe he decided <laughs> maybe it's the new year he decided to do this. I don't know. But it, it appears that the sort of official or semi-official endorsement of, uh, of Antifa by, by the mayor of Portland and by the Portland city government uh, seems to be coming to an end. You know, uh, we'll see here. I, I hope for the people of Portland that that's the case. Um, we'll uh, we'll see if the uh, the actions follow the words here. Um, then, of course, the 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 big story, the other big story. I guess maybe you could probably argue this is the biggest story. It's hard to say. Uh, certainly, is a major story. Was the uh, the presidential campaign of uh, of twenty twenty. Uh, it certainly wasn't like any campaign that I've ever seen before, and I think probably most people would would say the same thing. It was just nothing like that. Um, and you know, we ended up with a you know, it, it's still really not settled. I mean, e even here we are over what is that was what early November. So here we are, we're in January. So it, it's been almost two months now since the vote took place. What was that on the? I think November 3rd, I think it was, uh, was the date this year. So it's almost two months to the day that, uh, that the presidential elections took place. And we've had, of course, a massive amount of controversy. Uh, my own view on this is I think that there are serious, serious problems with the way that election was conducted. And 
you know that that that's something. I mean, there are a lot of people who who differ in, a, in opinions on this, and I'm, I'm 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 hesitating a little bit to to say directly what I think because I'm doing this uh, not just as a podcast. But I'm doing this as a live stream. I'm live streaming this on Facebook and and on uh, on Twitter and on YouTube, and I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm kind of feeling out where where the uh, the censorship goes, what what I can say, what I can't say on on those uh, particular platforms. But let me just say this: I, I think that there is a lot of evidence that there are serious problems and and I think that the people are a right to to raise some questions and and let's I'll, I'll just just leave it at that for now um, but certainly I mean these were all events you know just just going through these whether we're talking about covid whether some of the stock market crash the 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 uh, massive amount of money printing by the fed you know the riots the presidential campaign um, this has been really, it's been a year unlike any other. I, I've never seen anything like this. I mean, it's, I guess, probably the closest thing that you could, could uh, compare it to would be some of the stuff that went on in the 1960s. You know, we've probably all seen, you know, films of, you know, I, I think the 1968 uh, um, w- was a very tumultuous year. You know, they had some riots. I think it was the Democrats. They had a convention in Chicago that year. They had a big riot. And, of course, there were a lot of, there were some assassinations that took place that year. And just some very, uh, some very difficult, very disturbing things. That whole era, not just 1968, but even even within that period, um, there were just there were a lot of problems, a lot of upheavals. Now, of course, I I was technically I was around for it. I, I'm I'm an old guy. I was born in the 1960s. Okay, so I I was technically around for those things, but I, I really wasn't old enough to uh, uh, let's say appreciate. Uh, what was going on? But I've talked to people who who did. I've, I've talked to my folks and that my parents and and uh, their view was that actually 2020 was worse than the stuff that was going on in the 60s, and and that's saying quite a bit because the 60s were w- without question a very uh, a very difficult time uh, for the United States. And uh, to say that the 2020 unrest exceeded that is uh, I think pretty substantial. Now, what I wanted to do is I wanted to take a a little bit of look ahead here at at 2020, and let's see what uh, what 2020 may hold for us. Uh, I see there's a comment from uh, one of my uh, viewers out there. Uh, he's uh, talking about the uh, this is Tim. He's talking about the election. He says it was stolen. Uh, amen, brother. Yep, I agree with you. I agree with that 100. Um, percent Taking a look here at uh, at 2021, um, you know, if you told me all, all the things that were going to take place in 2020, I, I wouldn't have believed that those things were going to take place. Um, I, I was truly amazed by that. Um, and with that said, you know, you know, you might wonder why I would even try to attempt to forecast 2021, right? I mean, because all this crazy stuff happened in 2020 that I didn't anticipate. Why would I even try to forecast 21, 2021? Well, I guess what I'd answer, um, what I'd say to that is that it's part of our God-given nature to make plans. And, and part of making plans is looking ahead and at least trying to make some reasonable determinations about what's likely to happen. Uh, so we can make prudent decisions based on those forecasts. And, and that's not an unchristian thing to do. Uh, in fact, I mean, if you look in the Bible, um, the Bible talks about uh, about using prudence and about using foresight and, uh, and using some good judgment 
in sort of assessing the situation and, and trying to see where things are going. Uh, here's, here's a few examples. In, uh, this is from Proverbs 27, 12. And in that we read, uh, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Now let me read that again for you. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Well, you know... I, that's a verse that I've used quite a bit. I've written some things on my blog, some posts on uh, my Luke's, Luke's Licit blog about uh, about prepping, and that's one of the verses that that I have appealed to as um, as scriptural basis for doing some prepping. You know, I mean, we we should be able to use um, use prudence, and in fact, if if you ever have studied finance or financial planning. Um, there's a, there's something that, that's used. It's called a prudent man standard. And, you know, if, if you're judging whether or not to do something, you know, you look at it and you have to ask, and you ask yourself, okay, would, would a prudent man take this course of action or not? You know, how do you know if somebody, if a prudent man would do that? Well, I mean, you, you try to do some, some due diligence. You try to do some research. You know, you, if you're thinking about, you know, buying a house or starting a business or, you know, laying out some big expense for something, I mean, you, you should sit down and, and try to make some, some plans. Now, I mean, of course, you know, in, unless you're a prophet, which I'm not. <laughs> I don't believe in continuing revelation, but I mean, unless you're a prophet, you know, we, we don't know what the future is. You know, God hasn't revealed those things to us. He has, though, revealed to us um, quite a bit in his word uh, and given us quite a bit of good information on how to, uh, to make some reasonable plans. And, and that's something that is, is commended in Scripture. Uh, Luke 14 is, uh, is an, another interesting example here. In fact, there are two really good parables that, that Jesus gives in Luke 14, and one of them, uh, they're, they're fairly brief parables, but they're actually a couple of my favorite parables. And, and Jesus talks at one point, he talks about a man who, who sets out to build a tower. And, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically he tells his hearers, you know, what man, you know, uh, decides to build a who decides to build a tower doesn't first sit down and, and, and see whether he has the money to complete it. You know, so he doesn't get to the point where it's half finished and it doesn't get done, and then people mock him and saying, "Huh, he started building that tower, but he couldn't finish." You know, I remember there, there was a case uh, a few years ago, and this goes back to the financial crisis in two thousand eight. But there was a uh, uh, there was a a large building that was being built over in uh, kind of a a well to do area, Cincinnati, called Kenwood, and and they were building this tower. It was kind of like a combined office retail tower. It was in a very prominent location. I mean, it was right by the highway uh, as you go through Kenwood, and when the financial crisis hit. I don't know whether it was the contractor went bankrupt or or the the people who were having the building built. I, I I don't know the details on it, but I know the work stopped. And and what they had done is they had they had erected the steel frame of this building, and then it just the work just stopped, and it sat there incomplete with just bare steel just hanging out there for I'd say probably a good three to five years. I, I don't remember. I mean, eventually they did finish it and, and it got done, but it was a bit of an eyesore sitting there. And I'm, I'm sure that that drove the, uh, the city fathers nuts having this, this uh, half finished uh, building just kind of, kind of sitting out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And that, that wasn't a good thing. It was, it was kind of, a, like I say, it was kind of an eyesore. And, and Jesus talks about this. He says, you know, what man who you know doesn't plan to, you know, think about building a tower doesn't first sit down and find out, well, can I actually do this project? 
And that's a, that's a prudent, that's a reasonable thing to do, right? And, you know, and Jesus praises this man. And, and he gives another example. He talks about a king, you know, who's getting ready to go into battle. And you know, he says, what king who's getting ready to go into battle and face his opponents 20,000 doesn't first sit down and decide, well, can I meet my opponents 20,000 with my 10,000? And, you know, if, if the king thinks, well, you know, I, you know, I think this guy's got a bigger army and, you know, I, I just, I'm not going to be able to go head to head with this guy. Um, you know, he sues for peace. Again, you know, this is a king using some some prudence. I mean, he's not using any kind of special revelation. It's he's not not uh, doesn't seem to be appealing to any kind of prophecy or anything. But you know, Jesus is is saying, you know, what man out there in these situations wouldn't exercise some basic prudence? And and he praises these these people for doing this. I mean, he doesn't say this is a bad thing that they're doing. He says it's a good thing that they're doing. So in in the spirit of of prudence, in the spirit of uh, you know, using the the logical equipment, the uh, the information that the Lord has revealed to us in the scriptures, I, I think it's reasonable to try to take a look ahead, kind of look where we've been and, and maybe where we've going, and try to make some some prudent judgments about where things might go in 2021. So that's my defense of doing this. Um, all right. So the first thing that I wanted to look at then was I wanted to talk about the presidential election. Have to pardon me while I take a uh, take a drink of coffee here. You know, I um, I, I will uh, appeal to uh, to Scott Adams as uh, as as an inspiration for that. I don't know if you've ever watched Scott Adams before. He's he's the guy that writes that Dilbert cartoon, and he does a lot of uh, a live streaming in, in in this type of thing. And he's very good. You know, I I don't always agree with everything he says, but I, I think he's he's an interesting guy to listen to. Um, and, and he usually is le- at least able, even if he, he has an opinion maybe that, that I don't necessarily agree with, I usually find he does a pretty good job at least supporting his opinion. And he's also willing to admit when, you know, if he was wrong about something, he'll come out and say it. So he's not somebody that, that just keeps uh, being, uh, being bullheaded, um, you know, if, uh, if uh, things turn out differently than what he had originally thought. So, yeah, I, I do find him interesting. I, I don't think that he's a Christian, but, uh, but he's an interesting guy. But he always uh, he always likes to drink coffee on his uh, his live stream. So I'm gonna going to uh, appeal to uh, the great Scott Adams, and I'm going to drink some coffee during my live stream as well. Ah, that's good. Okay, so uh, talking about 2020. So we want to talk a little bit about the presidential election. So what about the presidential election? What's going to happen? How's that all going to end, wind up? You know, the inauguration is coming up in less than three weeks, coming up on January 21st. So who do I think is going to be inaugurated on January 21st? Well, uh, I'm going to tell you, I think it's going to be Joe Biden. Now, you know, maybe some, some of you out there who are my listeners, that maybe that's a little bit disappointing uh, for me to say that. Um, I'd like to see Donald Trump be elected. I would, I would like to see him be, uh, be inaugurated on the 21st, but I just haven't seen anything so far, uh, that makes me think that that's going to happen. Now, I do think that there, he, he has a legitimate case, uh, for some major fraud in this election. And I'm not going to, uh, to back off saying that I, I do believe that that's the case. Now I know some, some very smart people, some very good, uh, Christian people, some, uh, very intelligent people don't agree with that. And, and I, I understand it and I respect that. But in, in my opinion, um, yeah, I, I think that there was, was major fraud in the, uh, in the 2020 election. Unfortunately, I don't think that that's going to matter. 
I mean, I haven't seen anything in in any of the court challenges or any of the things that have gone on in in Washington that make me think that that's the he that anybody but Joe Biden is going to be president uh, come January twenty first of this year. I'd like to be wrong about that, you know. And some of you may say, "Well, you know, you're 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 way off base on this." But I mean, l- let's let's face it. I mean, the the court challenges have gone nowhere. The entirety of the establishment, you know, whether you're talking about Mitch McConnell, uh, you know, the, the Republican uh, Senate Majority Leader, whether you're talking about the the former, um, um, yeah, Bill Barr, whatever he was, um, the uh, the head guy over there at the Department of Justice. Um, whether you're talking about the Supreme Court uh, and even some of the lower courts, I mean, they just the the Trump legal team has just not made any headway. And I I I haven't seen a lot. I haven't seen anything out of them that gives me a lot of confidence that it's going to be anything other than Joe Biden uh, on January 21st. Now, with that said, I'm not saying that people um, shouldn't pray that something can happen. You know, there, there's a guy that I follow quite a bit on, uh, on YouTube. I watch his videos. I watched him for several years. His name's Greg Hunter. And, uh, and he's a Christian. And uh, I, I like a, a lot of his work. And he, he can be very compelling. When he gets on, he talks about, uh, about Donald Trump and about uh, Donald Trump's, you know, so, some of the options in this he has. And, and he's, you know, appealed as a Christian. He says, you know, people have prayed and prayed and prayed about this. And he, in, in his opinion, that, you know, that that's going to be sufficient for, um, for God to act and, and, and to, to bring Donald Trump in as president. Now, you know, the Lord can do anything he wants to do. And, and if he wants Donald Trump to be president, he will make that happen. I have absolutely no doubt that the Lord can make that happen. But um, like I say, I'm just basing on what I've seen so far. And, and I'm not so sure that, that that's going to be the case. Uh, it seems to me that you know, there's a great deal of corruption in this country, and the people that run this country are, are quite happy with, with that corruption. And, and here's the thing. You know, if, even if you know, let's suppose Joe Biden does get in. Suppose he is inaugurated. And again, my assumption is that he will be inaugurated. Uh, does that mean God didn't hear prayers? Well, that, no, that's, that's not true. I mean, I, I think that, that Joe Biden is deeply corrupt. And I think a Joe Biden presidency is going to, to be a, a very negative thing for the United States. Um, but, you know, maybe, uh, Maybe that's what uh, maybe that's what God has decreed. I I, I don't know that. You know, I, I don't know. I say I don't know the future. I don't claim to be a prophet, but it's at least possible. You know, that God has decreed that 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 is going to be the thing that happens. There certainly seems to be a lot of evidence that at least suggests that. Um, one of the nice things about this is that, of course, we're going to know for sure here in, in, in a fairly short period of time. We don't have to wait very long to find out. Uh, you know, uh, to find out whether my opinion is correct or not on this matter. Um, quite frankly, I'd be very, I would rejoice if I were wrong, but I just, I don't see how, how, uh, I, I just don't see how Joe Biden doesn't take over as president. And, you know, and again, getting back to this whole idea of, uh, of how could, you know, somebody that is in my view is obviously corrupt is what Joe Biden is. How could he get in as president? Well, um, you know, let, let's look at the scriptures. I mean, you can go and and find in the scriptures. There's a lot of biblical precedents for God uh, at times punishing nations for their disobedience, for their unbelief, for their wickedness. 
Um, you know, we, we think about, well, think about how, how he treated Israel. I mean, there were several times in the Old Testament uh, where God used very evil nations to punish Israel uh, when the people turned their back on, on the covenant. And you can think of many times uh, where Israel was overrun by, uh, by foreigners, by, by pagan, uh, by heathen countries. Uh, you see this in the book of Judges a lot. You know, sometimes the Philistines got the upper hand. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, actually, you know, kind of, uh, really had their, their boot on the neck of the Israelites and, and had it on there for some time. I mean, it wasn't just a year or two. I mean, it'd be decades and decades on, uh, on end at times. And then, of course, eventually, the northern kingdom was carried away by the Assyrians, uh, for their unbelief. And, and then Judah, about a hundred years later, a little bit more than that, um, but Judah uh, was then later conquered by, by Babylon and dragged into captivity. And it wasn't because the Assyrians and the Babylonians were, were great people, um, but it was because God was determined to punish uh, his people uh, for turning their back on him. You know, and, and you look at the United States, and, and you look at the, the wonderful, uh, the great blessings that we've really experienced as a country. I mean, this is a country that was really founded by uh, by Puritans. But you look at where we are today here in the year 2021, and we're a long, long way from, from the Puritans. You know, I'm not going to go into all the, the details on that right now, but I'm sure that you can think about what those are. You know, and, and would God be wrong in, uh, in visiting punishment on this nation? You know, I, I don't think he would. And, and again, I don't know these, I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and say that, that I know what God's going to do or I, I know exactly what's going to happen. I don't know. But I'm just um, I'm trying to throw out there some of the possibilities. You know, and one of the possibilities is that, that God may, you know, it, maybe he's done with the United States. Or, or maybe at least he's, uh, you know, we're going to go through some, some difficult times uh, because of some very poor decisions that we have allowed as the American people uh, some very poor decisions that, that we have made. I'm going to read from you. That there's a uh, a uh, uh, this is an excerpt out of an essay by John Robbins. It's called "The Religious Wars of the 21st Century." There's a couple paragraphs here, and I think these are. This was written back in 2006, and I think these are really um, very prescient words uh, that he used. So let me go ahead and just uh, just read this, and we'll talk a little bit about it. This is an extended quote. Quote, The phrase collapse of a civilization is a common figure of speech that misleads many into thinking that civilizations collapse in much the same way that buildings collapse during controlled demolitions, or like the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center collapsed on September 11, 2001. The whole affair, they think, is dramatic, obvious, and over in a relatively short period of time, and when it is done, nothing is left but dust and rubble. The metaphor of civilizational collapse is misleading, and some people, under its influence, deny that the West is in collapse. But civilizations did not come crashing down in a matter of months or even years, and it is foolish to expect them to do so. The West has been in collapse for more than a century. The biblical theology that created Western civilization 500 years ago has all but disappeared in the West. The rejection of Christianity in North America and Europe and the rise of several false religions, including Arminianism, Romanism, Pentecostalism, Atheism, and Mysticism, have led to the collapse of the West. That collapse is marked by, or more accurately, is the dissolution of the biblical family, husband, wife, and children, the economic and political regimentation of the individual and business enterprises, 
government ownership and control of most educational institutions, the growth of crime, the winning of civility, the acceptance of public profanity, obscenity, and homosexuality, and the resurgence of brutality. To oppose some of this civilizational collapse, the religious right in America has embraced both Romanism and Judaism as saviors of the West, foolishly ignorant of the fact that they, as forms of unbelief, are destroyers of the West and causes of the collapse. What we call Western civilization arose because of the widespread preaching and believing of the gospel of justification by faith alone. Theologies that deny this doctrine are fatal to both souls and societies. End quote. <coughs> Excuse me, got a little scratchy throat there. I'm going to get a little another cup of coffee here in just a moment, or sip of coffee. Okay, so that's, you know, what, what John Robbins said here, you know, and he's talking here about the collapse of Western civilization, which the United, of which the United States is a part. And, and I, I really do think that that's what we're experiencing. You know, and, and he talked in here about, um, you know, one of the, the issues that, uh, that to oppose the civilizational collapse of religious right in America has embraced both Romanism and Judaism as saviors of the West. Now, I mean, this has a, been a, a major problem uh, going back to the neo-evangelicals after World War II. And, you know, there has been a great deal of ecumenical activity over the past, say, 75 years or so. You know, I mean, I remember uh, growing up and, and there was a, a movement, and some of you maybe who are a little, uh, maybe my age or, or older, you might remember there was a movement called the Moral Majority. It was headed up by uh, Jerry Falwell. He was a, a Baptist minister. And it, it, was a, uh, it was an ecumenical movement, as, you know, as have been many other types of um, uh, religious conservative movements. I think, for instance, like of, uh, oh, uh, uh, Charles Colson, what uh, his uh, his prison fellowship ministry? Yeah, you know, he was a, that was a very ecumenical movement. The greatest evangelist of that period uh, following World War II is Billy Graham. Billy Graham was very ecumenical. Uh, in fact, he might have been the the leading uh, evangelical ecumenist of them all. Um, he was was openly in would uh, openly work uh, with with the Roman Catholic Church, and. You know there has been this uh, this tendency among evangelicals, among Protestants, to uh, to really abandon the biblical requirement for uh, separation from uh, from ungodliness. And what's that say in uh, in Ephesians? I think uh, I hope I quote this correctly, but uh, it says, "You know, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather, rather reprove them." Well, you know, we've done just the opposite. You know, we have had fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, and we failed to reprove them. You know, and I, I wonder if if some of of what's going on, uh, you know, if if Joe Biden ends up becoming president. Um, you know, maybe as, as Protestants, maybe we can look at this and say, you know, maybe some of this is due to, due to us, you know, because when we join forces, you know, when we, you know, as as Christians attempt to, to join forces with, uh, politically with, with unbelievers, it's really very much like, you know, think about, uh, in the Old Testament, you know, Isaiah talked about this, and I think a number of the prophets did, but I know Isaiah certainly talked about this. You know, he said in one place, you know, woe to those who go down to Egypt and, you know, and they, they seek the, the help of Pharaoh, but they don't seek me, 
you know, the, this is the Lord speaking. He says, you know, they they go they go down to Egypt. They 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 rely on Pharaoh. They trust in his chariots, but they they don't seek me. God's saying, and and that is, I, I think, been a very big problem with uh, ecumenical Protestants. I mean, they have have made that same mistake. Uh, that the the Israelites made in the Old Testament of trying to yoke with unbelievers, thinking somehow that that's going to preserve liberty and limited government and and the heritage we have uh, in the West. The West, you know, in Western civilization, and John Robbins, he defines this elsewhere, but it's the civilization that was created by the Protestant Reformation, by the widespread preaching of and belief in the gospel of justification by faith alone. But, you know, even much of the believing church has forgotten this, or maybe never even learned the, the connection between the, the preaching of the gospel, the belief of the gospel, and, and the freedoms that, that we enjoy in the West. I, I don't think most people have even really been trained in that because they're not taught this type of thing in churches. And, and I wonder if, if maybe some of the reason why you've seen the continual downgrade in our civilization. I mean, I've seen this just in my own lifetime. You know, I'm, well, I'm going to be 55 in March, so I'm a couple, a couple months short of my 55th birthday. Um, but I mean, I think of just how far down things have moved just in my lifetime, and, and maybe even even just the last five to 10 years. I mean, the, the slide is, it seems to be getting faster. You know, John Robbins, as he noted, you know, that the uh, civilizations don't end the, uh, <laughs> Civilizations don't end uh, immediately. They they don't come crashing down all at once. But it's something that uh, that takes place over a period of time. I mean, I mean, I've seen this even just in my lifetime. Um, <laughs> I see a comment out there that uh, says, "I love the Christmas tree in the background." Yeah, I've, I've got my Charlie Brown Christmas tree back there <laughs> sitting there. You can see it over my left shoulder. So yes. So uh, thank you for that, Ray. Glad you like that. <laughs> um, so that was one thing. We had the the presidential election, and and some of the the possible fallout from that. Well, the, another thing that I think to to look forward to, or may, maybe at least consider, maybe look forward to. That sounds positive. Um, but another uh, thing that I'm forecasting for the year 2021 is continued economic pain. Um, there's no way that Americans, in my opinion, are going to get out of the ongoing economic crisis without getting hurt. We're all going to get hurt. And we're going to get hurt regardless of who's president. Even if by, by some uh, amazing occurrence, Donald Trump is inaugurated on January 21st, we're going to have economic pain. That's going to happen. Um, you know, the economic troubles we're, we're going through now are really just an extension of that, uh, that global financial crisis of 2008. And the problems that set off the 2008 crisis, the, the main problem, and, and that was one of too much debt, that's never been addressed. And in fact, um, in the, the infinite wisdom of our, uh, of our uh, elite uh, sort of master of the universe ruling class, uh, what did they do to solve uh, uh, the, the debt problem of 2008? Well, they added more debt to the system. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, that's like dumping a bucket of uh, uh, of water on the head of a, a man who's drowning. I mean, you know, the, the last thing we needed to do was to add more debt, but that's what we've done. We've added a phenomenal amount of debt, and in fact, even just within the last nine months, 
I mean, the amount of debt that the United States has taken on is is truly extraordinary. And of course, all of the the money printing that comes along with that, and all of the inflation, all of the or I shouldn't say inflation, I should say all of the rising prices that come as a result of that. Um, there's going to be economic pain. Yeah, you know, and really, what I think what uh, what our economists and bankers and politicians would try to convince people of is that you can can borrow money and never have to pay it back. You just keep you just borrow more money, and that that is a lie. And, you know, God has so constructed the universe that all debts must be paid, and they will be paid. Uh, there's no, you know, ultimately nobody can Welsh on a debt. Um, but that's it. But that's what our, they like say, that's what our politicians, that's what our, our central bankers, that's what our, our uh, intellectuals, you know, the uh, uh, economists, what have you, that, that's what they try to do. You know, there's a, a philosophy now that's, that's kind of risen to the, uh, the top in economics. They call it modern monetary theory or MMT for short. And basically what that means is, um, it here's a it, maybe the simplest way to describe it. MMT basically says that yes, in fact, money really does grow on trees. <laughs> you know, I always remember that when I was a kid. You know, I'd ask for something expensive, and you know, my mom would sternly rebuke me and say, "Well, money doesn't grow on trees." You know, yeah, that's kind of a very you know mom or dad thing to say. Uh, I don't know. Maybe parents still say that. <laughs> I don't know. But I know they would say that to me. That was a, a, a common expression. Money doesn't grow on trees, you know. Well, according to the modern monetary theory people, money does grow on trees. You can, you can go out and you can print as much of it you want, as you want, and nothing, you know, there aren't any bad effects that are going to happen. Um, but there are, you know, and, and debt is, is a burden. I mean, you think about how the, the Bible uh, describes debt. You know, the borrower is the slave of the lender, I think it says somewhere. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, all of this massive debt we're taking on, uh, that we have taken on here, or we did take on in 2020, uh, that's going to continue in 2021. It has to. We live in a, uh, an economic system. It's called a debt-based economic system. And the only way that you can create, keep a, a debt-based economic system from collapsing is by taking on more debt. The system, ha- it's constructed. It requires that. And this is not something that's going to slow down. It's going to continue uh, basically until it can't. Now, are we going to have a huge financial implosion in 2021? I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Um, You know, it's kind of interesting when I first started following finances in this, and this goes back really to the 2008 crisis is when I started to follow this closely. So I've been at it about 13 years. Um, a lot of people who are very expert in finance and people whose opinions I respect, people who I think are honest people, you know, they, they were saying, oh, well, this thing's going to just collapse any day now. You know, and here we are 13 years later. And, you know, for all the problems we have, I mean, the system is still basically functioning. It's still going. But, you know, the, the debt levels keep rising. The level of instability keeps rising. And there is going to come a point at some time, and I don't know when that is, um, when it won't be able to be sustained. And this is one of the reasons why you hear a lot of talk among the uh, very elite uh, globalist-type people. For example, the, uh, uh, there's a fellow named Klaus Schwab, who's the, I think, I think his title is president of the, uh, of the World Economic Forum. 
the WEF, World Economic Forum. Uh, the World Economic Forum, they run this very prestigious um, very prestigious organization, a bunch of globalists. I mean, they're, they're like a bunch of, basically a bunch of Bond villains. At least that's how I think of them. Uh, these are not good people. They're very smart people. They're very powerful people. They're very well-connected people. Um, I also happen to think they're, they're not very good people. Uh, and, and they don't mean well um, for, uh, for the average person. Um, they don't have our best interest at heart. Let's put it that way. But this, uh, this Klaus Schwab fellow is talking openly about a great reset. And part of that is, is a, an economic reset. And I think what he's really pushing for is to create some type of a global digital currency um, where you have a, uh, you know, everybody in the world uses the same money issued by some sort of gigantic world central bank. And, and all of that money is, is digital. You don't have any physical cash. Um, and, and there are, I mean, to me, that, that's a very scary proposition. Uh, my prayer is that that's not something that they're able to realize uh, or to be able to put into effect. But there are people out there who are pushing for this. And these are very powerful people. Um, and you're going to hear more about this. It's called the Great Reset. And uh, if you actually if you go to the uh, the World Economic Forum website, you can find papers on that. They've even got videos. There's there's one video out there, and and I, I don't have the link for it handy here. But if you go out and you look at it, um, I think you can find it on YouTube. If you just type in like Great Reset or something like that, you can probably find this. But it's a short video. It's maybe two or three minutes, but it's put out by the World Economic Forum, and. They, they, they kind of show some pictures, and, and I'm, I know the, the opening, one of the opening scenes in it shows this picture of this uh, young man. He's kind of smiling. He looks happy. And, and, and there's a caption at the bottom of it says, by 2030, you'll own nothing. And then the next, uh, the next frame, the next scene it goes to, and you'll be happy. <laughs> it, it's unbelievable. And they actually come right out and say this. You'll own nothing, and you'll be happy. And this is the World Economic Forum. They, they, again, these are not obscure people. These are not uh, people out on, on some fringe somewhere. These are some of the most powerful, best-connected people there are in the world. And this is the kind of thing that they're pushing. Now, it's possible that by 2030, you know, we may own nothing. I don't know that. But if you're living in a world where you own nothing, I can almost guarantee you, you're not going to be happy. Um, you know, this is not a future that, that I think, you or I would want certainly as Christians. I mean, that's not a uh, that that's not a future based on any Christian concept of uh, of economics or politics. So I think we're going to be in for some some difficult times uh, economically. Um, yeah, I think we're going to continue to be in some difficult times uh, politically as well. Uh, we saw the social unrest um, from this past uh, from this past year. You know, in some of it, of course, I, I think it was uh, there. Was, obviously, there was some uh, some racial tension uh, that was involved in that. Um, but I think a lot of it too is is uh, I, I think there are people who who are struggling. There's a lot of people out there who are struggling economically, um, and and that's also a uh, you know when, when you have people who who don't have feel like they don't have a lot to lose, you know, they they tend to act out. You know, when you have a a, a collapsing economy, um, there's a good chance you're also going to get a lot of social unrest that's going to to accompany that. Um, so there's there's that issue as well. So I mean, I think we're going to probably have continued social unrest, and of course, some of the the theories out there that are being pushed and are being taught um, in in schools and universities are leading to some of this stuff. Of course, one of the, uh, the big drivers, I think, of a lot of social unrest is critical race theory. 
And essentially critical race theory, it's, it's a giant attempt at blame shifting. And, and it's an attempt to say, well, uh, that any problems that a minority group has, it's all the fault of, of white supremacy. And therefore, what we have to do is we have to get the government to take money from all of the, uh, uh, the, the white supremacists and give it to, uh, give it to other people. And, and, that's, and that is a formula to, for social unrest. I mean, I, I can't imagine. I mean, that's, that's like, uh, you know, just like setting off a, a nitroglycerin bomb almost. And, you know, if these people are able to successfully implement uh, any of these programs, more than what they have already, I think it could create a, a, a great deal of, of conflict in this country that's completely avoidable. I don't want to go into that too deeply right now, but I just I'd wanted to throw that out. Uh, another issue, and I kind of alluded to this, but it's worth talking about maybe in a little bit more detail, is the whole issue of, of income inequality. Um, you know, one of the problems is that you have seen, in, in, for instance, in the, in, with all the COVID lockdowns and what have you, I've read somewhere, I don't have the, the reference handy, but that the, the net worth of, the, of billionaires in the United States has increased something like 25% during, the, uh, during all, all the pandemic, all the lockdowns, this type of thing. And that's at the same time that a lot of ordinary Americans are really struggling. And, and this is not something that even was, was new so much this, this past year. Of course, the, the lockdowns and all were. But the whole um, tilting of the, the income distribution from, uh, toward the, uh, uh, the, the already super wealthy and away from ordinary Americans has been ongoing for some time. In fact, you could probably go back to uh, the early 1970s when the United States went off the gold standard. You've seen this huge shift in, in income and wealth from ordinary Americans to, uh, to the super wealthy. And, and this creates uh, a lot of ill will. Now, it might sound a little bit odd for me to be talking about income inequality. You say, well, Steve, are you turning into a socialist or something? Well, I mean, I would answer to that, no. Uh, I'm not a socialist, although a lot of times you hear socialists, or at least self-described socialists of various sorts, they will talk about this. Um, and, and this is something where I would actually agree with the socialists, but where I would disagree with them is, number one, I would disagree with them about the origin of the problem and also about the solution of the problem. What, what, the, what the socialists would tell you, they say, well, this is just you know, income inequality. This, this is just all the, fault of cap, all the fault, of, fault of capitalism. And what we need is we need bigger government to come in and take money from the super wealthy and then redistribute that to, to all the, uh, the people who are struggling. And that will make everything awesome and, and, and just and fair. And you know, there will be nothing but rainbows and unicorns here on, you know, from here on forever. Well, that's, I think, a complete a completely incorrect analysis of the situation because it's not capitalism that's created these huge wealth in, uh, inequalities. It's actually a sort of cronyism. Uh, it's, it's a sort of corporatism. You know, if you listen to Ron Paul, he'll talk quite a bit about corporatism. And that is, you know, corporatism is the idea that, you know, uh, the government and businesses get together and they partner with each other, you know, and, you know, the, uh, now, uh, gov it's governments bailing out businesses. You know, think back in 2008. You had all of these big banks on Wall Street begging for bailouts. And not just banks, of course. There are other major corporations as well. They were begging for bailouts, and they received bailouts. They received, you know, trillions of dollars total uh, in bailouts from the Fed. And, 
you know, these were businesses that had they not been bailed out, they'd have gone bankrupt. You know, and I distinctly remember in 2009, the year after that, that financial crisis, all these banks that were being bailed out, they were giving record bonuses to their bankers, to their, you know, to their employees. And, and these aren't small bonuses. These are just like a couple thousand dollar bonuses or something. I mean, we're talking here about, you know, like six and seven figure bonuses that were being paid out, huge sums of money. Um, you know, and, and these were businesses that had the rules of capitalism you know, in capitalism, it's a system of profits and losses. Had the rules of capitalism been obeyed, had the government not bailed all these people out, they'd have been out of business. They wouldn't have been getting record bonuses. You know, they'd have, they'd have had to find another job. And, you know, bailouts are not capitalism. You know, capitalism, you know, bailouts are no part of capitalism. You know, bail, bailouts are part of cronyism. Sometimes they call it crony capitalism. I, I don't like using the term crony capitalism because I think it kind of confuses it with, with capitalism, which you know, capitalism is simply a system where uh, individuals and groups are allowed to own all kinds of property, you know, uh, uh, property of all sorts, including the means of production. And, and uh, you know, they have the ability to, to sell those things as well. Um, you know, factories and stores and houses and farms, um, and, and it's a system of private property. It's a system of private enterprise. Um, it's a system of profits and losses. You know, and you know, in, in a capitalist system, you have a God-given right to make a lot of money, and you also have a God-given right to go bankrupt. You know, and when you go bankrupt, you don't have any right to go, uh, go feed at the public trough and get bailed out. But that's exactly what happened in 2008, and it happened again um, in 2020. You know, so I mean, we have, you know, we have, and what it's done, it's created this huge income inequality, um, the bailouts, also the money printing. You know, the Federal Reserve maybe is is the single biggest driver of income inequality because they print all of this money, and then the people that get it first are the people who get the full value of it, and then when that that money, when it when it trickles down, when it kind of gets out into broader society, that's where the inflation, that's when the the rising prices take place. By the time you and I get that money, uh, that money has already lost its value. But the people who get to spend it first, they get to spend it at its full value, and and again, that creates income inequality. It creates wealth inequality. If we had a sound money system, if we had a limited government, you wouldn't see anywhere near the kind of income inequality that we do today. I mean, yeah, there would be income inequality. Some people, you know, have, have uh, more gifts than others. Some people uh, apply themselves better than others. Um, you know, nowhere is, uh, does the constitution, nowhere in the Bible does it say that everybody has to have the same income or the same amount of property. Um, but we should have the same rights, uh, the same legal rights. But with bailouts, of course, bailouts are always political, right? I mean, you have when you have crony capitalism. Well, I mean, you know, the uh, <clears throat> the big government, you know, they're going to bail out their their buddies and and leave the rest of us, you know, maybe with uh, with a few breadcrumbs. In fact, you can even see that in uh, I think it's what First Samuel eight, where you know the the Israelites they ask for a king and and. Uh, God sends Samuel to rebuke them, and and he talks about all of the things that the king is going to do to them. I mean, this is the behavior of the king that you're you're asking for yourself. I remember one of the things is that he's going to take your property and he's going to give it to his friends. 
Essentially, I mean, what Sammy was talking about was crony capitalism. That's exactly what we have here today. And I always just think it's so weird how, how confused the socialists are because they, when they talk about, oh, you know, we need to have all these big government programs in order to be able to, to rectify the problems with income inequality because it's, it's the big government that created the income inequality to begin with. And they think that somehow creating an even bigger government is going to solve that problem. And, and I think that's really a very confused way of approaching things. So let's see. Um, I wanted to go ahead and uh, and wrap this up then here today. Um, oh, I see a comment here from uh, from Ray. He says the video put out by the WEF that you mentioned is disturbing. I've read some articles by Schwab, uh, and they're also disturbing. Yeah, thanks for covering this. Yeah, I'm glad I had. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ray. Thank you. Yeah, the the WEF. Um, and, and in fact, I, I hope to be able to write about it uh, some here, uh, Lord willing, uh, in the month of January. They have their annual meeting. They, they have this meeting in Davos, Switzerland every January. So it's coming up in just a few weeks. And um, I, I hope to have a chance to write some about that here as we approach the, uh, uh, the Davos, the annual Davos meeting, because I think it's really important for Christians to be aware of, of this organization and other like organizations, because these, these, uh, these organizations do not promote uh, a, a Christian worldview at all. In fact, they're quite, uh, quite hostile to it. Um, but, uh, let's see, in wrapping this whole thing up, you know, I, I realize that in some, <laughs> you know, some of what I said, I mean, it's not, not the cheeriest thing, right? Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't mean to be a, a Debbie Downer, uh, or, uh, sound like some kind of a pessimist because I, I, I'm not a pessimist. Um, you know, but the, the Bible teaches us, uh, not to view the world through rose-colored glasses, but to look at things in the light of Scripture. Uh, you know, I think the Apostle Paul, he says somewhere, I, I don't have the immediate reference, but here he talks about, you know, don't think you know, more highly of yourselves than you should. Now, I mean, the Apostle Paul isn't saying, you know, think that you're some kind of a, a, a low life, a, a little worm or something like this. I mean, if, if you're a Christian, you know, Christ died to save you from your sins. I mean, you have value for that reason alone. And, and, you know, so we shouldn't think of ourselves as, as being worthless because Christ is, uh, he gave his life for us. So, I mean, to, to say that is really to denigrate the sacrifice of, uh, of Christ himself. Uh, of course we have value. Um, but we also have to realize, you know, that, that, that we're not God. We, we shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than what we ought to. And we should have a correct, a sober assessment of, of our value of, of who we are, um, as uh, as Christians, and and I think this that same principle can be applied when we're looking at the world. Um, you know, I quoted those those passages from uh, um, from Proverbs. You know about the you know about the prudent man foresees evil coming and hides himself, but the fool passes on and is punished. Well, you know, we have to be able to assess the world around us soberly. So you know, we don't want to look at things through rose colored glasses and say, oh, everything's going to be awesome because. Um, right now, frankly, everything is not awesome. Uh, and, and we don't want to fall into despair either because we know, you know, as, as, uh, as Jesus said um, when he was uh, about ready to, uh, to send into heaven after his resurrection, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. You know, that hasn't changed. He still has all authority in heaven on earth. And, and he is our king. He is our savior. And, and we, we know this. And in knowing this, it should give us confidence to be able to face this world. We know this world, things can get pretty bad at times. Uh, but we also know that he's promised to give us the strength to face it. 
So in, instead of going into to a difficult time, and I think we are going into difficult times. I think we're going into difficult times economically. I think we're going into difficult times politically. Um, you know, and, and I think as Christians, I think there's a good chance that it's going to become more difficult for us to um, to be Christians. You know, without suffering some consequences for that. You know, it, that's something we have to accept. I mean, this world's not our home, right? Um, you know, I think was that the author of Hebrews talked about this. You know, he talked about the you know, these people of whom the world was not worthy, and you know, they ended up <clears throat> you know wandering about in the wilderness and in caves and <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> You know, and, and they went through a lot of difficulties because they were faithful. You know, it, it'd be nice to think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm saved in Christ, and, and I'm going to go out and tell the truth about, uh, you know, about sin and unrighteousness and, and teach about sound economics and sound politics, and everybody's going to love me, and they're going to say, wow, that's just great. Well, yeah, it doesn't really work that way, does it? Um, you know, a lot of times people don't want to hear the truth, and they prefer the lie. Um, but... You know, as Christians, I mean, our job is to be salt and light. You know, I had a, uh, a Sunday school teacher years ago. I remember he said this. We were talking about the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and and you know, there's that that portion uh, early on where you know Jesus says, you know, you're the salt of the earth, uh, you are the light of the world. He was talking about uh, his followers, um, and I remember the comment that he made about this, the Sunday school teacher, and he said, you know, he said you can really think of of that as the job description of a Christian to be salt and light. <clears throat> and, and, you know, and sometimes when we're facing a world when we've got, you know, so many hostile philosophies, uh, so many hostile ideas, so many, uh, such, so much violence, so much, uh, untruth, so many lies that we all have to deal with every day. And, and we can despair. You know, sometimes you think, Oh my goodness, you know, how am I ever going to be able to even have, have any hope of having an impact in, in a society like that? Well, you know, what I would remind you is, you know, that the first century of the, the first century was at least as bad as what things are today. And in some ways, they were far worse. Uh, I mean, the moral climate of the Roman Empire in the, uh, in the first century AD was appalling. Um, I've seen some people describe it as a uh, pornotopia. Uh, was what uh, what one uh, one author I read he used that word called it a pornotopia, and and you can really see this. Um, it, it's kind of interesting. You you may have heard of uh, there's a couple of famous archaeological sites, uh, Pompeii and Herculaneum. These were two cities that were buried by the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in AD seventy nine, and one of the things that makes the the archaeology there so compelling of course is that it was you know they were covered in this volcanic ash and they were just pretty much buried in place you know and you've probably seen some of these photographs you know where um i guess as they as they've excavated the layers of uh of volcanic ash and they would come to these cavities where uh people were buried alive and, and their bodies had been there and they've, they've decomposed over the the uh uh, roughly uh, 2,000 years since that happened. And then they would pour in, you know, this, I, I don't know, some kind of substance. They would pour it into the cavity, and then they would excavate the, the remaining um, rock formation, what have you, around the bodies. And then you, you can actually see these bodies in amazing detail of these people who were buried. Well, it wasn't just the uh, the bodies that were, or these, these uh, cavities that were preserved. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, 
uh, artwork uh, and, and what have you that was recovered um, from Pompeii and Herculaneum. And, and when they first started excavating this, and I think this goes back to the 18th century, the archaeologists were scandalized at some of the, uh, the, the pictures, the, the frescoes that are on the walls, some of the statuary and this stuff. It was really obscene. Um, I've actually, I remember I took a course uh, in archaeology uh, when I was in college, and, and I saw a few of these pictures. And, um, yeah, they, they, they're pretty shocking. Um, and, and this was apparently is pretty common um, that the people had these obscene pictures uh, on their walls of their dining room. You know, and this was the Roman Empire. This was the first century A.D. I mean, this was a time with, you know, just in a few decades of the, uh, the life of Christ. Uh, and, and this was the world that the first Christians came into. It was a very hostile world. And, you know, of course, Rome was very polytheistic, and, and they were okay with you having your own god. But what they didn't want you to have is to make exclusive claims. You know, and it was the exclusive claims of the Christians that got them in the hot water with the authorities. And, of course, that's why they were uh, plundered and uh, sometimes jailed and sometimes tortured, sometimes killed. Um, they came into a very hostile world. And, and yet, you know, they were, you know, the early Christians were salt and light, and they changed the world. They really did. Um, you know, and, and if they can do that, you know, we can do that too. We can be salt and light in our own time, uh, in our own neighborhoods, in our own families, in our own cities where we live. And, and I don't know exactly what that means for you, but I don't want you to sit here and think, oh, my goodness, you know, oh, you know, it's the World Economic Forum, and it's the globalists, and, you know, it's the Fed, and all these people have infinite power, and I can't possibly do anything about it. I'm just going to go hide in a cave. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's not what we're supposed to do. You know, we need to be going about our business, you know, in the places where God's placed us, you know, in, in the jobs that we have and uh, with the friends that we have and our, the neighborhoods where we live, uh, and, and, and we're to be salt and light. And that can mean a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. Now, one of the ways I do that's by doing a podcast, you know, by doing an occasional live stream or, uh, or something along these lines. Um, there's a lot of ways that we can be salt and light. And I would really encourage you um, to do that. You know, I, I heard a sermon the other day I was listening to. It was uh, by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, and he was preaching on, it was in Hebrews, is that passage in Hebrews, uh, what, chapter 12, um, where it talks about looking unto, looking unto Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. And, and he says, you know, in, in the basic message that Martin Lloyd-Jones says is, you know, don't look to your circumstances. You know, look to Christ. Yeah, and, and that's what, as Christians, we need to do. And I think that we need to, to really make a commitment. I know I need, I need to do this. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, okay? This, this, is, <laughs> this is mostly directed at Steve Matthews, but you know, maybe, maybe some other people can, can benefit from this. I, I know one of the things that, that I need to do is, is to look to Christ uh, and to look to him and not despair in my circumstances and not get frustrated and not get down. Because he does. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and one day he will return to judge the quick and the dead. You know, and the government will be on his shoulders. Uh, and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end, uh, as Isaiah tells us. Now, I mean, you know, between now and then, we may have to go through some difficult things. But we know that he's going to be with us. He will strengthen us. He's given us his word. And I, I would just encourage you to... Um, to take solace in that, to take strength in that, you know, and as we face this year, to find ways in, in which you and to find ways in which I can, can be salt and light 
uh, in the circumstances in which God places us. And that's really all I had for you here today. So I wanted to just say thanks so much for listening. Uh, uh, Ms. T says, Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you as well. I appreciate that. Uh, Tony Brown says, I really needed this. Thank you, Steve. So uh, you're very welcome, Tony. I'm glad you could watch, and uh, I really appreciate that. So... Um, Anyway, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate that. I, I wish you and your family a uh, very happy and uh, blessed New Year, and I wish you all a uh, blessed uh, Lord's Day tomorrow. And uh, I will uh, talk to you, Lord willing, in, uh, in another week. So thanks very much for listening. And until that time, may the Spirit of Truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word. Good night, everybody.